On today's episode of the Wave Podcast, we have Thanksgiving week. Wrap up. What a great weekend it was. The holiday weekend. Loyola Don's got a huge dub in the Turkey Bowl over the Calvert Hall Cardinals. We break that game down, talking about what a dog Kendrick Worthington is. And we're also talking some professional football as well. Ravens go into L.A. and beat the Chargers 20 to 10 on Sunday Night Football. Uh, However, there's more bad to be said about this game than good. We break down all about this game, why John Harbaugh made the decisions he made, why Todd Munkin's game plan was really shitty. Um, And on the flip side, Mike McDonald and the defense bailing us out yet again. We're breaking down everything from this game. Zay Flowers spite game gets two TDs against a team that passed on him. We're breaking it all down. And more importantly, the questions that the Ravens need to address going into the bye week. No game for the Ravens to preview this week, so we're talking a lot of college football. Last week was rivalry week. We're talking about the biggest matchups, Iron Bowl, the game between Michigan and Ohio State, and all the college football implications that those games have leading into this week. Conference championship week is this week, as mentioned. We're talking SEC championship between Georgia and Alabama. We're talking ACC championship between Louisville and Florida State that will have college football playoff implications, and all the other games across the NCAA, and even some bonus mid-major conference championships as well. Thank you all so very much for joining in with us. Hope you all enjoy this one. Here we go. Episode 81. Welcome back to the Wave Podcast. Today is Thursday, November 30th, 2023, and we are coming to you after Thanksgiving week, after a great week of sports, after very much to be thankful for. Uh, We will get into a lot of that, I'm sure, uh, on this episode. But first and foremost, Josh, how are we, man? It's been been a little bit longer than we're used to. Uh, Yeah. Talking what feels like forever, even though it's been only a little over a week, but have you been, man? How was your Thanksgiving week? Thanksgiving was great. Spent some time with family. Um, always good to get home to Baltimore for a little bit, even if it is for like 48 hours or so. But great time with family, great time with food and stuff like that. Just an awesome, awesome Thanksgiving time. Um, there, I, I, I'm happy to be where I'm at in life. And like, I love Baltimore, but it's all, and it's always great to go back. So, um, yeah, just a great time. I had a great Thanksgiving. Like, just spent time with family. Watched an ungodly amount of football this weekend. Oh, yeah. I think I watched. I think ever since Thursday, I probably watched a little bit over ten to twelve games. Just that day, like it was a lot of football. It was a it was a lot of football. Yeah, let's just say that. <laughs> so it was good. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, and you also had a birthday recently. So happy belated birthday to you! I did, I did. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. Uh, shout out to everybody that reached out on Thursday uh, and wished me a happy birthday. I really, really do deeply appreciate it. Um, I had a great Thanksgiving as well. We talked about it last week. Thanksgiving is one of, if not my favorite holiday out of the year. I think it's perfect for adults. Definitely enjoyed uh, the night before Thanksgiving, went out in Bel Air, saw a bunch of people I haven't seen in a while. Um, and then 
roll that into a great Thursday, great Thanksgiving, great birthday. Watched football literally from the time I woke up in the morning until <laughs> I went to bed at night. It was, I mean, it started with the Turkey Bowl, which we'll talk about a little bit here. Don's got a big dub. And then three three pretty decent NFL games. Uh, and then we had the Egg Bowl Thursday night. We had a Black Friday NFL game. We had Rivalry Week all weekend. It was honestly, it was just, it was a perfect weekend. I couldn't have asked for more. It was really, really great. But yeah, man, Thanksgiving was great. Saw, saw some family, spent some time with them. Great food. Um, uh, really just a, a great weekend all the way around for sure. But yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear you had a great Thanksgiving week as well. Yeah, it was great, dude. It was great. And yes, the Don's did get a huge win. Um, like I said, I'm sure we're going to get into that. I'll let you start to show off and I'll follow your lead, whatever you want to go, dude. Yeah, man, let's start right there. I'm wearing, I'm wearing one of my, uh, one of my Don's hoodies. Shout out to the Loyola Don's, um, Loyola Calvert Hall. If you are from the Baltimore area, you are familiar or have at least heard of the, the Turkey bowl. You've heard of this rivalry. Uh, pretty sure I heard somewhere last year, it's the longest outstanding uh high school rivalry in the country i think i heard that somewhere one of um, them i know is i think it's the largest catholic rival oldest catholic rivalry okay. um there are a couple weird facts i know about it like i know it's the old, one of the oldest catholic rivalries in the state okay. if not the oldest catholic rivalry in the state oldest private school rivalry in the state the only rivalry older in baltimore as far as high school goes is poly city, city yeah. which is just as crazy, if not crazier, than um, Turkey Bowl at times. They used to actually play both games on Thanksgiving. Like I do remember that. Other. So that's that's also just a really fun rivalry to be a part of. Like I have mm -hmm. like a lot of family that went to Poly, so and like a lot of my teachers from Poly, so like I'm mostly on the Poly side. They had some friends that went to City as well, and I grew up like why I grew up with City in my backyard. Basically, I can look and see right. like the tower and everything. So um that's also cool rivalry but the turkey bowl man it's nothing like it like just listening to the uh commentary i know scott garceau and his crew on abc did a really good job calling the game mm -hmm. um but just listening to the stories about how i think some people went four generations like of a hundred and three year old rivalry which is crazy to me like someone's great grandfather was in the first one they were in some of the 60s their dad in the yeah. 80s now and then i'm like that's just crazy to me how many like <laughs> generations have played in this game over time but it's also just crazy how many generations send their kids to a high school. Like, oh yeah, that's like it's something that you live through it, so you kind of understand it. And like, I'm sure when I have kids, if I'm in the Baltimore area, I would definitely send them to Loyola and stuff like that. But 100%. um, it's just it's crazy to me how much this means to everyone. And even when I'm a part of it, it's still like it's just mind-boggling to me how much this means to everyone. So yeah, oh, yeah. That, uh, I'm sure we'll get to the game analysis, but I just want to hear your thoughts on just the Turkey Bowl in general. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so the Turkey Bowl was one of the reasons I wanted to go to Loyola. I obviously played football growing up, and I remember watching when I was in middle school on Thursday morning. I would or Thanksgiving morning, I was I would watch with my dad, and he would like he explained to me the you know the rivalry and the history behind it all, and it, it like really got me interested in both schools. And obviously, I ended up choosing Loyola. I chose the right school. You but, did, um, <laughs> um, but no, it, it you you hit the nail on the head. Like it's so unique. And it means so much to everyone who's involved, but it's so hard to explain that to other people who just haven't lived through it. Like I talked to my friends, some of whom went to like, went to schools around here in Bel Air, some of whom were like public uh, homeschooled. So like, they don't really grasp why we get so juiced up about it every year. Like the, the closest that I can relate it to is like Michigan, Ohio state. 
obviously a little recency bias or like, right. you know, something like Duke UNC basketball. Like it's, it's stuff like that where it's so deeply rooted. And if you're a part, not even of the, the teams involved, but just of the schools involved, it, it just means more like you get up for it. It's, it's the center of that entire week. Like, it's just, it's so deeply rooted in both of those schools where like that is part of the identity of the program. Right. So yeah, yeah I, it not, not only because I was like a part of the school and went to Loyola and I, you know, for four years, we went to the Turkey bowl on Thursday morning on Thanksgiving morning. Like I just enjoy watching it as a football fan. Like it's, it, there's nothing better than rivalry football. And especially when both teams have good teams, which we mm-hmm. had this year. Yeah. It's, there's nothing better. There's nothing thing better it is a great it's a great event it's fantastic i love the fact that they moved it to johnny united stadium at towson yes. i feel like it just it it fits the game it fits the vibe much better than mnt love when it was at mnt that was super cool for like yeah. the players and all but i think just for like the entire atmosphere around it being being a towson just kind of makes more sense but it, it does yeah and it's, I, yeah it definitely does go ahead go ahead I loved it when it was at MNT too, just because anytime you get to go to the MNT Bank Stadium, it's just a special occasion. Right. And for a lot of people, like for me, like growing up, money wasn't super tight, but like we couldn't afford going to Ravens games pretty regularly just because like oh, yeah. it's expensive. And oh yeah, we were also paying for the high school to like, you know, go to that we were talking about. <laughs> right. So right. anytime I could go to MNT Bank Stadium, I was very happy to do so. However, Towson is a much better environment for it. Both schools are Towson. It's Baltimore schools, but it's still like basically a Towson school. Like they're literally our cross town sure. rivals, and like you said, I think a great comparison is that Duke UNC rivalry because both schools mm-hmm. are like, both schools are actually like seven miles. At least Duke and UNC are seven miles apart from each other. Right. Uh, I don't know the mileage for Loyola Cabra Hall, but it's pretty pretty dang close. Like maybe three. It's got to be like two or three miles. Like it's yeah, it, they're yeah. close. They're really really close, and like it's kind of like that because even if you don't go to like you say, even if you don't go to East School, you still know someone who does. You still have connections to both. And also, we share a lot as far as, like, those two school goals. Like, oh, yeah. we share the same, like, hangout spaces, the same, like, recreational activities and spaces. Like, you, like, Charlie grew up on the same, like, lacrosse teams, baseball teams and such. Like, it, your friends also went to, like, the other schools. And as much as you love them and your friends and buddies, stuff like that, you also want to beat them. And, like, oh, yeah, it just adds to the, it just adds to the fire of it. Like, it, mm-hmm. you all, like, it's so many things. It's weird how many things we could be for. And I always explain this to my friends who grew up in different areas why this rivalry does mean so much. You're competing for colleges, college admits like colleges and stuff like that when you're in high school, competing mm-hmm. for, you know, jobs in the future, competing for just like, you know, alumni, just different things like that. Heck, we even share sister schools, which I forgot how crazy that is. Like in theory, that legit, like <laughs> we share sister schools, like with NDP, uh, Mercy. Um, I am 26 and I should not say the nursery rhyme on air because <laughs> we are back. That's right, everybody knows it. <laughs> everyone knows it um and uh i think even we share like what maryville and maryville ndp uh mercy and what i think even ind but when ind I was, was gonna say school. i think ind might be that last one so it's just crazy how much like everything kind of flows over there is so much like connection like literally just the yin and yang to each other and like like you said there were three i looked at three schools when i was in middle school um and it was really, for me, really between Calvary Hall and Loyola. And I Same. wanted to go to Loyola. I had friends that went to Loyola. And I'm like, this this is amazing. Like, I remember my first, like, experience with Loyola going to um going to a Baltimore Catholic League game, a basketball game in middle school. Okay. And it was, like, when Loyola had some pretty, like, really, really good teams. And they played Calvary Hall that day. And I just heard, hey, 
these two schools don't like each other. And then I saw like our student section was packed out, like in all blue, it was a blue out, and a dude dressed up like Moses and they were gonna part the Red Sea. And I'm like, <laughs> that's something I can get behind. Like this is like a college atmosphere in high school. So like that's like that's something I could definitely get behind. And even like as um I mean, shoot, Calvary was really close. I'm not gonna act like it wasn't. I remember I um their admissions thing, I broke some things about like, oh yeah, I know some Calvary Hall alum, like of some Calvary Hall alum, like Juan Dixon, Mel Kuyper went there. It'll be cool to go there. And then like a week later, I got a call from Mel Kuyper Jr. on my house, like voicemail. What? Trying to convince me. Have you guys ever told you that story? No, that's insane. Yeah, dude. I remember I mentioned that and I get a call. My dad's like, hey, Josh, come check this out. And he, I'm like, okay. And he's like, hey, dude, this is Mel Kuyper. Give me a call. Do you ever want to talk about like what it's like going to Calvary Hall? I'm like, what? So I like called Yo, him. And I had a crazy. I called him. I probably still have his number somewhere in my cell phone right now. And like, <laughs> it, it, like talked to Mel Kuyper for a little bit. And then I met him in person like a couple years later at the Turkey Ball. He was just the nicest guy in the world there with his daughter. So shout out Mel Kuyper Jr. Um, and yeah. Shout so out Mel Kuyper the, Jr. Come on the pod. Come on. Yes. that Oh, dude, definitely. That'd be a huge gift <laughs> for us. Or yeah, I guess for you. That's guys, crazy, so. dude. I had, I had no idea that you like spoke to Mel Kuyper and met him. That's so cool. Yeah, so it was cool. like it was like a really random thing, but it was like a really cool thing. And so, like, as much as I don't like Calvary Hall, I do have like some form of respect for them because it's like, yeah, of course, we, it's it's we are yeah, like I said, there. like Duke, yeah, Duke, UNC, Michigan, Ohio State, like you don't like each other, but there is a mutual respect, and that's honestly that's the best way that I can kind of summarize the Loyola Calvary Hall rivalry. But as far as the game goes this year, um, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I haven't really followed the team much over the last couple of years. Uh, I try to here and there, uh, like I still follow some of the, you know, the staff members and the coaches that we knew from when we were there. Um, right. So like I keep up with, you know, what they put out there and I try to, you know, stay up to date as much as I can, but um, I wasn't really sure what to expect going into this game. And then I think like the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I was like scrolling on Twitter and I saw a bunch of like, this person is first team, all MIA and that person's first team. All like we had, I think Loyola had like six or seven first team all conference guys. Like they, they had a squad and watching the pregame coverage on ABC, like they're talking up uh, coach Zayu and how great of a job he's done. And like, you know, his background from being a player at LSU and then, you know, Mr. Stewart's jumping on there. Johnny law is talking up the team and how well they've done all year. And, and then obviously they go on to the, to in the game and do what they do. I think what was the final score? Like 40 to 28 or something. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kendrick Worthington was the guy that I came away from that game being like, this kid is special. I mean, yeah, I don't know how many times he carried the ball, probably like 30, but like had, he had over 200 yards on the ground. I think he had like three or four touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, that kid, he was making cuts that I was like, I've only seen pro guys do that. Like yes. his, his vision was unreal. He runs angry. Like he reminded yes. me a lot of the way like Isaiah Pacheco runs. Like he just runs hard. I, there were a lot of good players on the Loyola side, obviously like Trevor Szymanski, he was going to Maryland next year. Mm -hmm. um, Brad Cease, the quarterback played really well. Jaden Moore, brother of Jordan Moore, who's following him to Duke. Yeah. Like Loyola's got some studs, but I came away from that game being like, wow, Kendrick Worthington is that dude. Yeah. That kid runs so angry. I was watching a game with my dad and like, you know, they, they're doing the stats in the game. Like, right before the game starts like oh yeah he has like you know so so many yards on like the year and i'm like oh that's cool and my dad says wait wait what i'm like <laughs> dude i did the same thing i was like wait what you mean i was like what's up he goes josh did you read you said I'm like 
No, he goes, he has 928 rushing yards on the season. Now, like, it was like the, um, the, the DJ Khaled meet where he's like kind of perks up a little yes. bit on the boat. I'm like, wait, I was like, do you know how crazy that is? He goes like, why do you say that? I'm like, he's like, yeah, it's crazy. I'm like, no, do you know how crazy that is? He goes, I'm like, dad, they play that 10, like an eight or a 10 game schedule. Like yeah. that's impressive. And then I'm like, wait, he can get a thousand if he has a good game today. And sure enough, spoiler alert, he got his thousand. That kid <laughs> runs angry he runs he cuts well his vision is good his yards after contact is absolutely insane he looks like he's playing a different sport out there um my dad said he reminded him kind of a gus edwards a little bit just with the way that he ran it he cut i said dude that kid kind of reminds me of jamal lewis like granted i was younger so my jamal lewis memories are a little bit hazy but i remember jamal lewis making cuts and just having huge bursts of speed and just carrying defenders and such like that kid runs angry and that kid's very good i don't know if that kid has a scholarship anywhere yet but that kid deserves some form of college looks because you don't have a game like not a thousand yards in a season is not a fluke um no definitely not granted i know the running back position is weird and like running backs are in a weird spot in football like right now but that kid can run i think he has a spot to play he deserves to play somewhere else if that was if he's a senior and that was his last game what a hell of a way to go out one and two so no he's he's a junior he's got one more year of high school and then, okay, but regardless, okay. that kid's gonna be playing on Saturdays really soon. That kid, like, there's, does, there's yeah. no way, there's no way any program in college football that's worth its salt can look at that and be like, yeah, we don't need that guy on our team. Like, that, yeah, he's he's a baller. That kid is that an absolute kid gamer. Is a absolute dog. Like, I know that term gets yeah. overused a lot, but that kid can run like so well. And I know you mentioned uh, the younger Moore. He had a great game, showed up clutch, a little bit smaller mm-hmm. than I think his brother was. But, yes. man, that kid's shifty and just, like, clearly probably could be the best pure athlete on the field at that time. And Loyola's quarterback had an arm and could make yeah. some pretty good – both quarterbacks had an arm, basically. Oh, yeah. They could make a pretty good throw. Like, there were throws outside the numbers where he's stepping up the pocket. I'm like, wait, he is – that kid has zip on the ball. I think that quarterback's only a sophomore, right? Like – yes. That kid was good. And then the the linebacker, I think, was this guy, the number 40-something, I think? I can't remember his name. I think so. Yeah, I don't remember his name, but I know who you're talking about. Very, I think he either had a very German or very Scandinavian name. Can't think of his name <laughs> at all. But that kid was everywhere making tackles, just like absolute madman. Like, mm-hmm. I've, I've never seen the old team this talented, like just straight up this much, like death and talent. Yeah, dude, it, it's crazy because you're right. Like, it feels like there is talent at every position. And, I mean – going back to like before I, before you and I were there and like during the times that we were there, we had talent at positions for sure. Like, obviously, you know, we had guys like Damon Hazleton and I mean, Ryan Gallagher was really good for us. And like Ben Evans, we had had dudes for sure. Jake Nordhaus. Yeah. For sure. Like we had dudes, but it feels like now they have just built this pipeline of studs at every position like yes. going back a couple of years ago obviously to like jordan moore and now Jaden aj sismansky older brother of trevor who's currently at maryland i believe like yeah. talent all over the field so yeah shout out to them and i don't want to just only love up the dons there were some really good players on calvert hall side as well oh, their absolutely. quarterback their quarterback who came in late in the second half i forget his name but i think he wore number four yeah he reminded me a lot of jalen milrow the, the way that he played like really good runner with the football had a huge arm like out of nowhere surprise yeah. he, he he uncorked one in like the fourth quarter and i was like you where did that come from like, right 
obviously Calvert Hall's the same way. They're always going to have talent, but he was one kid that stood out to me because just out of note, like he didn't even start the game and then he just showed up and he's like, uh, like I'm a baller too. But yeah. Yeah. It's it just a great game all the way around and, and shout out to the Dons for getting a big dub. Shout out to the Dons for getting a big dub. And yeah, Calvert Hall did have some like guys that could play. That kid had like wide body, huge legs could run. Yeah. Like no one's Calvert Hall had a lot of explosive plays just out of nowhere. Like, Oh, there's you obviously <laughs> tackle this guy. Nope. Like just running down the field. So yeah, talent on both ends of the field for sure. It seems like Calvert Hall and Loyola are getting those guys that used to go to the Gilmans and used to go to the St. Mm-hmm. Francis's and used to go to McDonald's a little bit. It seems like they're kind of coming more so on the other side of the state for a little bit. Sure. So that's good to see. Um, yeah, that's really good to see for Definitely. us for sure. Yeah. And it's going to make for an even better rivalry over the next, you know, five, 10 years. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So we'll put a bow on, uh, on Turkey day. Uh, roll Dons as always, they did their thing 40 to 28 over the cards. I don't remember off the top of my head what the overall record is. I know Loyola is, is leading. Um, that's all that matters. It's all that matters. And they got their first in I think two years, uh, first, first in like two or three years that it came back to Loyola. No, it came, it came, we went, came home. You won two out of the last three. Oh, okay. I thought I heard Calvert Hall won two out of the last three. Maybe I, we've won two. Maybe it was flipped. Anyway, regardless, yeah. loyal, the, the Dons brought it home, and that's all that matters. Yes. Um, all right, now let's talk about the other team in Baltimore that played this weekend. Uh, Ravens went into L.A., into SoFi, played on Sunday night against the Chargers, and got a win, 20-10. to 10. Um, We will talk good and bad from this game, <laughs> one of which I think there's more than the other. But... Uh, I think there's 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 enough to be said on both sides. I'll just preface with that. I don't want to sound like the neurotic Ravens fan this early out the gate. Um, but I think it, as far as like Ravens fans goes, it's very, very rare um, that the majority of us are on the same page when this when it comes to this team. And it felt like a lot of us were in agreement uh, Sunday night going into Monday where it was like, hey, this offense was just flat out dog shit. They looked horrible Sunday night, just about as bad as they could look. John Harbaugh made some of the worst decisions he's made as the head coach of the Ravens over the last 13 years or 16 years, whatever it's been. Um, And Mike McDonald and his boys were our saving graces. The defense was unreal. Defense was unreal, just like they've been for most of the season. I think this might have been their best performance of the season as a unit. um, When you factor in the lack of production you were getting from the offense Um, that I, Obviously, they've had really good games like the first time we played Cleveland and they turned DTR over three times and, you know, playing against the Lions, only giving up six points to that team like they've had really good games. Uh, But the reason I think this one was maybe their best of the season is because of the situation and the fact that it was a game where I don't want to I didn't want to call it a must win, but it was kind of a game that like you really needed to have going forward. Um, And we won it basically entirely on the backs of our defense. Um, but anyway, before we get into it or before I get into it, Josh, give me your, uh, give me your thoughts from this game this week. I know we're going to get into it and I'm going to refuse. I'm going to try not to be super negative because we did win, but I was thinking about what I was going to say today. And this win left me with more questions than answers, which I'm okay with winning and having more questions and losing and having the answers. Cause we may not like the answers once we get those. Um, but this was not a great game by any means, uh, as a whole unit. I think certain. I think certain. When you talk about football, you talk about football in three phases. Defense A plus. They did lights out. Like yep. there are times I was expecting us to break and be like, okay, they can't keep it up forever, and they shocked me with how well they produced. 
So Mike McDonald, defensive job, like defensive end, great job. You guys killed it. Um, I'm, we'll get into highlights about who did well. Cop, cop, Kyle Hamilton, Patrick Queen, and the rest of the unit. Just amazing clowny. The people, the people whose names we've been saying for 12 weeks at this point. <laughs> yeah, like, shocker, they're still really good at football. They did well. Right. Special teams. We need to start having conversations about what is up with the special teams unit. Now, this is not me throwing the great Justin Tucker under the bus. I don't believe nope. in that at all. This has been nope. going on as a whole operation. Special teams is not working, and I am concerned. Like, I'm officially like, this is something to really look out for, and I'm actually concerned. Offense, we won the game. Thank you for winning the game and making enough plays to win. However, they did not look good at all, just consistently throughout no, the game. they did not. Um, which is encouraging to win a game when your offense looks like absolute dog trash. Like, that's mm-hmm. great. We won. But also, our goal isn't to win in November. Our goal is to win, like, you know, December, January. January. This is not a – this is not – the way this offense is right now, this is not a January offense at all. Um, honestly, this isn't even a December offense. It's just not – it's just flat out not good right now um, this past week. Um, again, not to get too doom and gloom because we did win, and I do want to highlight some things I did, we did see well on offense, but we we got to do better as a unit to play complementary football consistently. We see too many flashes of it, and it's great when we do, but this isn't consistent, and I and this isn't a knock on Harbs, but at the end of the day, consistently consistency kind of comes down to like your control over things. And while we're talking about Harbs, he did have one of his worst games as a Ravens head coach in a long time. And mm-hmm. I don't say that, like, sparingly. I say that as someone who loves Harbaugh wants him to be here for a very long time. I don't think he's going anywhere until he wants to retire. Um, and I don't want him really to go anywhere. I think he's got to get the job done. But if I'm going to demand so, excellence, not even demand, if I expect excellence from the players and, like, you know, the, everyone like them, I have mm-hmm. to, like, expect, expect excellence from him. And he just flat out was not good like son like he wasn't great sunday yeah like i i, I feel comfortable enough to be a fan of john hopball and just say hey he didn't do a great job i think he would even say hey there are some things i should do a whole lot better um so the first time he just felt like he didn't have control or pulse on the game he was just kind of like there observing yeah. rather than like making like this kind of like the opposite of what brandon hyde does like for example yeah. brandon hyde's a little bit Involved. like it's just didn't seem like he was involved enough and then when he did get involved it was just like a head scratcher um mm-hmm. again not to beat down the harps too much but like it just wasn't a good coaching job and i'm sure we're getting more than that in the like later mm-hmm. on but just not not great and it's just like hey like kind of like it's november let's wake up a little bit and kind of get in, in the mood for things so i'll let you kind of steer like where you want to go with all that but that's just my initial thought yeah really on. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree with everything you said. As far as special teams go, um, it's definitely something that we're, is worth talking about. Um, and I'm certainly not here to question Justin Tucker or his ability. Um, I think Justin Tucker missing a kick or missing a few kicks this year is more of an indication of our special teams unit being rushed onto the field and not having enough time whatever the root of that problem is, I don't think the problem is Justin Tucker. Um, There are people on, on Twitter who are like actually believing in the statement that we need to start thinking about a replacement at kicker. Never will I agree with that. No, never until Justin Tucker's leg falls off of his waist. I will never agree with that statement. He's, he is the best greatest kicker of all time. Okay. He 
has attempted something over 400 kicks in his career, and he just now is sitting at under 90% for his career. He's at 89.9%. I don't want to talk about young way coup. I don't want to talk about Chris Boswell. I don't want to talk about Harrison Bucker. I don't want to talk about Jason Myers. None of them are Justin Tucker. Let me be clear about that. And if there's anything that I'm ever going to be clear about in my life, let it be that coaching Josh. I'm with you. I am a Harbaugh guy through and through. And I feel like I have been very loud as far as defending Harbaugh when the Harbaugh boo birds come out. Yes. Um, I also believe in myself, not even when it comes to Harbaugh, just in general, I believe myself to be a realist. Um, And if we're going to be real about Sunday, it was maybe John Harbaugh's worst coach game as the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens. I believe that John Harbaugh not only runs one of the best organizations in the, in the, in the NFL, regardless of, you know, people want to throw out, Oh, he's only won one Super Bowl and he's had really good teams, whatever. It's hard to win Super Bowls in the NFL. The, the Patriots have broke our, our brains as sports fans into thinking it's easy. It's not right. Okay. It's not, not at all. Harbaugh has been one of the best game managers since he came into head coaching back in 2008. It's just something that he does really well. I know a lot of people have questions about, you know, how he manages the clock and his use of timeouts and things of that nature. I have never in my entire span of being an somewhat educated sports fan thought to question that part of, of what he does on Sundays. I just, I, I just don't, I think he's done better than average to say the very least. I think he's very good at that. This game was, like I said, maybe the furthest from the average as far as what he does on the sidelines on game day. Um, everybody has talked about the the two plays that he didn't, didn't challenge versus the one play that he did challenge. The first play where Lamar was kind of running towards the, the near sideline on third, and it was really short, and he reached out and the ball was like ball was in the outside hand and he was it was a weird situation. I don't necessarily blame Harbaugh for not challenging that. Do I think he would have won the challenge? Yeah, probably. But it's a bang bang play. It's early in the game. You have faith in your team. You're in you're knocking on the door of the red zone. I don't blame him for not challenging that that play. What I do blame him for, however, is letting the play call come through on fourth down immediately following that play and not either a throwing it, throwing the challenge flag at that point, because you're like, Hey, if we're going to, if we're, if we're going to blow a timeout here, let's at least make them take a look at it. Right. Right. And absolute worst case scenario, we lose the challenge and you know, it's a timeout anyway, whatever. Right. The, the play call comes in. Harbaugh's obviously wired in with his headset. He hears the play calls now, whether he can overrule that, I don't know. Um, but I'm willing to bet I'm almost 99% certain that he hears the play call come in, right? To take the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hands on fourth and one, I don't care what the situation is. You could be up by 15 or you could be in, in a one-point game. I don't care what the situation is. Taking the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hands, not even where he's like handing the ball off. He wasn't even involved in the play. He is split out wide and we ran a direct snap to Gus Edwards. That's my issue number one with that. My issue number two with that play is the fact that it, you are – running a shotgun direct snap to Gus Edwards, go under center, run guard to guard. Like you've been doing for the entire drive. That's been working and just, and just get a yard like that. That pissed me off so much. And then the second play, the second non challenge, the fact that he didn't challenge that really pissed me off because it was so abundantly clear 
that Aguilar picked up that first down and he just got a shit spot. Yeah. And Harbaugh's rationale afterwards, he was like, oh, you know, we, you know, we didn't have enough time to, to digest the information before throwing the challenge flag. Sure. Fine. Whatever. As a, as a coach, if you want to pride yourself on being an aggressive coach, that's a situation where you're like, Hey, we think he got it. You know, fool me once, shame on, on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You didn't challenge the first one, which you probably should have, and it ended up costing you. That's the one that he should have challenged, right? And then the the cherry on top, for him to challenge the play that the Chargers ran, the 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 you call it hook and ladder or whatever, throw to Keenan Allen over the middle, and he hucks it halfway across the field to Austin Eckler. John Harbaugh is standing right in front of the play. Like, that happened directly in front of John Harbaugh. And he decided to challenge that. It was never, never a challenge that he was going to win. And his his rationale was like, oh, well, that's a really tough play to execute. So we figured we might get something if we challenged it. Like, John, you got to be better than that, man. Yeah. You just have to be better than that. And especially in the second half, too, early in the third quarter, like you lose the challenge and you lose a timeout, a timeout that probably could have helped us maybe if the game goes a different way towards the end of the game it's just weird decisions and then to take it one step further you know Todd Munkin had a really tough game too my issue with Todd Munkin in this game was and I think I texted you about this Sunday night it felt like going into the game Todd and Harbaugh and whoever else was involved in the in the putting together of the game plan offensively was like hey the Chargers are dead last against the pass in the NFL. They really struggle against the pass. Let's attack them through the air. And that's fine. Like, if that's your game plan going into it, that's fine. But kind of like what you said about, you know, having your finger on the pulse of the game and just feeling the vibe, you're, they were dominating them in the run game. Like, it wasn't every play. Like, every play wasn't going for four or five, six yards. But you know, Gus would hit him for two or three and Keaton would hit him for three or four. And then Gus would pop one for four or five. Like there were, there were times here and there where you saw the run game work, particularly as you and I have been saying for weeks at this point, guard to guard, a gap to a gap, working the middle of the line where you have Tyler Linderbaum and Kevin Zeitler and John Simpson, guys who have been dominating for you all season, getting a push and creating holes and creating separation to where you can run the ball there. That's what annoyed me the most because someone like I hold John Harbaugh in a very high regard as a coach, as a football IQ guy. Like that's where I'd like to see somebody like him say, Hey Todd, let's try to work the ball to Gus a little bit more. Let's, let's run the ball. Let's run these plays. Let's, you know, let's show him these looks and, and let's smack him in the mouth a little bit. Right. Like that's, and I think this largely goes back to what I feel like everybody has said about John Harbaugh and his biggest fault as a person, as a coach, is just the fact that he's too loyal to his guys. You know, like that, that to me felt like a coach trying to say, I'm not going to micromanage my OC. I'm not going to tell him what to do and what plays to call. I'm going to let him call the game because that's his responsibility, right? And I think that's very admirable. And I think that's a great quality that Harbaugh has. But in a situation like that, I would like to see him say, hey, Gus is toting it well. We're, we're running the ball. Let's not abandon it. Like, I think it was either end of the third quarter, or early fourth quarter, where we get the ball back. I think it was actually after one of the turnovers. We get the ball back. First play of or first down of the of the of the drive. Turn around, give it to Gus. Gus picks up five. 
Second down, we throw the ball incomplete. Third down, we throw the ball incomplete. We punt it back to them. You pick up five on first down, you ran the ball, and then you end up going three and out without picking up another yard. Like shit like that is just inexcusable. And like you said, Josh, you want to be playing your best ball around this time of year. And, you know, it's it's all all well and good to win a game in November. But stuff like that is is not going to win you ball games in end of December, January, and then hopefully February. Like it's just not going to happen. So I will never apologize for winning. I will never feel bad about winning. It's hard to win in the NFL, and they did that, especially on the road. But like you said, there are certainly more questions than we thought we would have at this point after this game going into the bye week. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I'm so thankful for this bye because we can just kind of re- relax and just kind of mm-hmm. take a step back and just kind of like... It's coming at a great time, that's for sure. It is. It is coming at a great time. Um, and yeah, you made a lot of good points in breaking down the hardball situation and what's a lot of the decisions, just kind of piggyback on some of the stuff you said. I did not like the third down call after the first one, the one where Lamar like had the ball, that one mm-hmm. when we drilled a screen pass. It's one yard. Why are we throwing a screen pass to get one yard? I don't understand that at all. I, I never understood that. I'm kind of sick of the screen game, honestly. Um uh-huh. It's getting kind of predictable and annoying at this point. Um, just, yeah, that was rough. Um, again, what was the other one? The uh, the other challenge with Nelly. Yeah, that was just, I don't get that why you do that and then call a timeout like you mentioned that when I did not like exactly. the shotgun. I don't I don't ever love direct snaps to the running back. I just, nope. I just personally, I don't love it, especially when you need unless one your running back is Unless your running back is Ricky Williams, just let the quarterback do, do his job. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and again, go guard to guard. Like something our O line does very well consistently this year is run blocking. And that's not even just guard to guard. Even Stanley and Moses have had great mm-hmm. run blocking success throughout the year. Um, they've had other issues, which I'm sure we'll get into in a second. But um, <laughs> they've done well run blocking. Just go downfield and get get a yard or a couple yards for that matter. Yeah. And I I get it. Like you said, this the finger of the pulse thing. Like. I know that they're bad, but if something's working, why? Why? Let's not reinvent the wheel here. Um, exactly. Yeah, just and, very frustrating. And, very, yeah, very frustrating. And, and that's and and that's the piece of it to me the most that gets me is like it's just so frustrating because oftentimes I feel and again this is just you know to 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 use another ill-advised Harbaughism my seat at the end of the bar it feels like football coaches and you know guys like that overcomplicate what shouldn't be overcomplicated. Like, like you said, don't, you don't need to throw a screen on third and one and try and outsmart them, right? Like just give it to your running back and let him pick up a yard. Philly is great at this. As much as I love the shit on Philly because it's just funny. Yeah. They are, they, they literally tell themselves when they go out on first down, Hey, it's first and nine, because we know on fourth down, if it's fourth and one, we're going to do the tush push and we're going to get a yard. I'm not yeah. saying, you know, Lamar's got to subject himself to a tush push, but no. What difference is it if you send Ricard in motion and you give it to Gus and let him follow Linderbaum and Simpson and Ricard? Like, what difference is it? They're going to give you a yard. It's one yard. You, you, have to, you have to be able to just simplify it. Say, hey, guys, straight downhill, pick up a yard. Yeah. And then to take, the, to take my issues with the offensive game plan in this game one step further, um, Josh, you and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, balancing the offense. I think it was actually ahead of the Cincinnati game. Yeah. Just well-rounding the offense as far as passing versus running goes. 
Lamar threw the ball 32 times this game. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot in 2023 in the NFL. Like Josh Allen, I think, threw the ball like 54 times against the Eagles or something on, on Sunday. But like when you have as talented of a rush attack that we have, Lamar doesn't need to throw the ball 32 times. And to be fair, like if it's working, like if Lamar threw the ball 32 times and he was like, you know, 25 of 32 with 280 something yards, th that's a different story. But it, we weren't lighting them up through the air. So why force him to throw the ball 32 times? That's my biggest thing. You throw the ball 32 times and you have 24 design runs with your running backs and your receivers. Lamar ran the ball nine times as well, but some of those were scrambles on design pass plays. So anyway, the run, like you said, it, the run was working the pass, not that it wasn't working, but it wasn't, it wasn't what they expected it to be. I'm guessing. Right. So it, that's just, that, that was, that was my biggest issue with the game outside of John Harbaugh's decision-making the lack of Gus and his usage was another concerning point to me. Like he yep. got, he got fewer snaps in the game than justice Hill. And I think that goes back to like Justice Hill being used a lot in pass protection. That's one thing, sure. But that goes back to my previous point about like, why are you throwing the ball so much when the run game is working, right? Like I think Justice and Gus maybe had the same amount of carries or Gus maybe had one or two more carries total, but Gus was on the field less. And it's just, it's stuff like that where back to the whole oversimplification thing, just keep it simple, man. Like it's, it doesn't always need to be rocket science. Right. Can I piggyback on that Gus thing real quick? Please. Yeah, we love we love we love all our running backs. We love we are very running back pro running back on this podcast. We love all three, and we think yes. all three have a role on the team, yes. especially Justice Hill. I'm a Justice Hill fan. I thought he had a Likewise. nice couple runs. Why is he in there in like critical like critical situations running the ball when we have Gus and Keaton Mitchell like on just third and rot? short? You have on third, third and short. And the guy third goes, and goal. The guy that goes east and west instead of the guy that goes through the middle to get you that downhill. I did not understand person that personnel at all. I didn't understand why Gus was in the game. I was quite frankly did not need to see that much Justice Hill in the third and fourth quarter. I, nope. I didn't. I was so happy with seeing Keaton Mitchell and just Gus yeah. there because they were contributing what we needed for that time and just pounding the rock and getting yards and killing clock and making sure they didn't score. Um, I don't understand that person. That was another hardball decision that like piss me mm -hmm. off because personnel wise give it to your hot hand also where did yes. isaiah likely go after the third quarter because dude, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that out or like anything that was working he, you said ethic yeah, we're not going to do it anymore i don't get it and i don't get it I, at all I, I, to to be to be fair in in todd and john's defense i think that was because we struggled to sustain a drive after that point and yes. i'm sure if we would have done so he would have been more involved past that point but going back to what we said like Ride the hot hand, man. Like, okay, the, the the 45th screen to Zay Flowers is not working. Let's maybe fake that and go over the middle. Find Isaiah Likely or find Odell, who worked in the middle of the field really well. Like, and that, going back to my whole thing with Harbaugh and being a CEO, I love the fact that he trusts in his guys and he doesn't micromanage because we're seeing in Carolina, micromanaging, not necessarily what you want to have in the no. business. No, <laughs> but, but. It doesn't hurt to say, hey, I understand what we're doing with Justice Hill. Let's maybe get Gus in there. Even if he's not going to run the ball, at least show him a look, a play action, make them think that we're going to run the ball, open up the middle of the field, right? Like it's just little things like that that just made no sense about this game. I'm hoping that they go back to the drawing board and they're like, hey, what we were doing was not going to work. And we're lucky that we played the Chargers and they are not good because 
if we play, if we do that shit against the 49ers, it, 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 it will not be good. If we do it against the Steelers, it won't be good. I don't think the Steelers are that yeah. great of a team. They are just have right. a killer defense that can kill us. And they have mm-hmm. our number as of late. My, mm-hmm. my question is, if you know your O-line is struggling, why are we dropping back the pass 30 times, especially when the, when the running game's like killing you? Um, and I'll take it one step further than that. Why are we dropping back and trying pass concepts that develop 15 yards down the field? Yes. Yeah, I'm all I'm all good. I'm all good with having, you know, somebody take the top off and maybe taking a shot here and there. Yeah, but, absolutely. And, and shout out to shout out to Spencer Schultz, Ravens for Dummies on Twitter. Great follow. I feel like I mention him every week. Great, great follow. He pointed out something on the Exit 52 podcast this week where he was saying Lamar got to the top of his drop. And more often than not, he didn't have anybody to go to because the, the concepts were just taking too long to develop. Right. And I don't think that's because our receivers can't get separation. In fact, Zay Flowers is one of the most separation gaining receivers in the NFL this year per sabermetrics. But like you mentioned, Ronnie Stanley was struggling all night. He, I think he gave up six pressures total, which led the team. Morgan Moses gave up three pressures on the other side. Khalil Mack was doing work. And we talked about that last week. Khalil Mack, still Khalil Mack. Like he's still yeah. very good. Yes. Yeah. Why on earth in the first drive, that touchdown drive, or not the first drive, sorry, in the first quarter, the touchdown drive that we had, Zay's first touchdown, Odell caught two passes over the middle of the field for like 30 yards total. There is no one that runs a better slant in the NFL right now. I don't care how old he is. I don't care how many ACLs he has. Nobody in the NFL that runs a better slant than Odell Beckham. In fact, I think it was Jason Garrett on the broadcast Sunday who said Odell might be number two all time running a slant behind Jerry Rice. And I don't think that's as crazy of a statement as it may sound like. No, he is just so good at occupying the middle of the field, getting a good release, that quick burst off the line of scrimmage. That's why he's so good at it. And that's why you signed him and gave him the money you gave him. It worked in the first quarter. Why go away from it? And if you stay there, then you can work the outside of the field with likely and Zay and Rashad. Like it's just, there was no flow to the offense and there was no cohesion. It just felt like they were trying to force way too many things in certain spots. And there was just no flow. It was just very janky. And I didn't like it. It was discombobulated. It was janky. It was all those different things. And it just didn't work. And I saw, I think you, I think you posted a clip about, it was probably the Spencer for dummies clips from exit 52. Probably was Uh, the one you read, like the little notepad thing on it. Like, yes, they're not, the receivers aren't having enough time to get open basically. Um, and they're not breaking from their routes fast, like well enough or having the time to do so. We, this, and this, this, okay. When I say the O-line, if your name's Lindenball, Zeitler, or Simpson, <laughs> you get a pass for me this yeah. week. Everyone else on the O-line, what are we doing in pass protection where we can't give him three, five seconds? Like it feels like that, that edge is collapsing so much. And I know Stanley's oh, yeah. dealing with injuries. I, I know, and I'm thankful that he's playing, at least trying to like work through it, because I know there's been questions about like him being able to do so, going mm-hmm. like just in the past and stuff like that. I'm happy he's playing. But is are we sure that a seventy five percent Rodney Stanley isn't is like wor- better or worse than a like hundred percent McCrary? Look, I I'm with you. I love the fact that mentally he wants to be out there, but like I said to you on Sunday. At some point, we have to have a conversation of is, like you said, is 75% of Ronnie Stanley doing more harm than good? Right. 
and I and I want and I say that because I do want him to get back out there when he's ready for sure. When he's for healthy sure. enough to get back out there. But he's not anchoring. He's getting beat off like full rushes and like simple mm-hmm. stuff. Like this isn't like simple exotic. Stuff. This isn't exotic stuff that he's getting beat off. Granted, he is going against Khalil Mack, who is still again really dangerous at football. But yeah. it's only going to get worse from here. We have to go against T.J. Watt again. The other Bosa, who's a monster. Oh yeah, Chase they also Young. have Chase Young now. And like you know, I'm sure they're Josh other- Allen in Jacksonville. Yeah, Josh Allen in Jacksonville. Um, the Aaron Donald. Oh yeah, we forgot about him. Oh yeah. Um, shoot, you guys have a murderous role defensive end coming to kill our quarterback, and we need Stanley to be on his A game. Granted, I do think that he can get healthy, and the more he plays, the healthier he will get, and he will get in better game shape. But it's mm-hmm. not looking good right now, and it's like actually concerning because we can't throw the ball. And Morgan Moses is having a fine season, but he's also like getting beat. He's very he's very up and down. Like there's there he'll have he'll have a really good game and then he'll have a not so good game. But right. Yeah, I, I, I think yeah, largely he's having a fine season for sure. Yeah, I can't I'm not throwing him on the bus. It's just that I'm I'm just very concerned with this O line play and giving Lamar the enough time to really like do what he needs to do. Um especially standing in a pocket with the way quarterbacks get hurt in the pocket nowadays. Like Mm-hmm. We don't need another repeat of last year, mostly because, well, two things. I want to see eight out there. He gives us the best chance to win. And yep. two, I'm just tired of that narrative. He can't finish the season when he's been doing everything that every other quarterback does. It's just, you know, he ends up the one getting dinged up for a little bit. So right. it's concerning. Um, hopefully they can get better. But, like, I guess maybe we should talk about some positives, like kind of flipping a little bit to the positive side of the offense. Yeah, for sure. Rashad Bateman had a great game. Rashad um, Bateman had a very good game. Again, just slowly turning upward. I think that's going to continue. I expect him to have a good game, you know, uh, when we come back against the Rams as well. Um, Zay Flowers scored twice. He's been looking very well. He's been turned off to be a great traffic. OBJ looked well. Likely answered a lot of the questions about the tight end spot. Um, wasn't, you know, a perfect game. He did he did his job and he was called upon. Just the mm-hmm. offense needs to get its flow back and needs to find a mojo and – I, I hope they find it soon because if they don't, it's going to be a long, terrible end to the season. Um, we don't have a much room for Marshall. I know he won, what, eight games at this point? We're eight and three, nine. I think. Nine and three. Now, yeah, nine and three. There's not a whole lot of margin for error at all. Like any game that we drop can be kind of crucial as we go down a stretch. So, but I did want to highlight those guys, and I'm sure we'll highlight the defensive side of the ball too. But I'll throw it back to you for that if you want to talk about that real quick. There's some deposits. Yeah. We saw. Yeah. I, I was going to highlight the same guys on the offensive side of the ball that you did. Zay Flowers. I mean, this was the Zay Flowers spite game. Um, obviously, <laughs> Quentin Johnston was the the draft pick right before Zay to the uh, to the Chargers, um, and Zay made sure that they reminded uh, he reminded them uh, of the decision that they made. Zay had a great game. Odell had a great game. I mentioned him earlier, uh, occupying the middle of the field, running slants, making really good plays on the ball. Rashad Bateman. Uh, I'm really pleased with the way that he's played. Obviously, not lighting up the stat sheet. Um, but stacking every week, just constantly showing better and better uh, play. And Isaiah Likely, yeah, I he was one guy that I wanted to mention specifically because early in the game, it was like, hey, let's get the ball in his hands and let him make stuff happen. And he made stuff happen. Like, I was, I was not expecting at all Isaiah Likely after the catch, like we got him on Sunday. When he got the ball in his hands after making a catch, he was moving quickly. He was making guys miss. Like, that's the stuff that you need in Mark Andrews' absence. And that, and you're going to need him to do that 
because defenses are going to be taking attention away from the tight end position and putting it on the receivers. So if you obviously, like we said last week, you're not going to replace Mark Andrews. You're just not. But if you can get production like like that out of Isaiah Likely and complement what you're getting from the other skill positions, that's more than what you need. So shout out to him. Josh, let's talk about this defense. The first guy, the first guy we got to give love to, or at least I want to give love to, is Mike McDonald. Mike McDonald is a goddamn madman. He is an absolute sicko. And of course, I'm talking about the last defensive play of the game, the fourth down that we ended up winning the game on. Um, He dropped Michael Pierce, and I believe it was Broderick Washington, into coverage, and he blitzed Arthur Millette. He showed them an all-out look, completely confused the hell out of Justin Herbert, and it ended up winning us the game. Now, if this was a Steelers situation where they w- he would have diagnosed the play and beat us, we're talking about, you know, when the house is on fire or when the whatever the quote from Mike Tomlin was, we're going to burn the house down. Yeah. Then we're asking some questions. But it worked. And Mike McDonald, you are fantastic at what you do. Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton is having an all-pro season. Kyle Hamilton should be a first-team all pro player this year. And there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm thankful that he had the game that he did on a national stage to kind of bring some light to it. But he, the things that he was doing, it's, I mean, I don't want to, you know, blow smoke up his ass because I feel like we've just been rightfully showing him love all season. He's been having a great year. Yeah. But what impressed me the most was that he was doing stuff from every position on the field. He was rushing the quarterback and getting pressure. He was making tackles in the backfield. He was making tackles in and around the line of scrimmage. And what impressed me the most was he was locking dudes up in man coverage. The one play that he was covering Guyton. Yeah. He basically ran the route for him, was on him like white on rice, and then turned around and made a play on the ball. Kyle Hamilton, he is just so good at football. He is a football player that's the best way you can describe him he is really freaking good at football yeah dude it's insane how like just well he's doing he's everything we thought he was coming out of college great i know some people after three games were like you know crapping on him says that he was soft i may have had some hand up i may have said some of those things just i I for sure said some things i said some things that weren't great (laughs) i'll just leave it at that um but that kid is so good and it reminds it's a good reminder me hey, maybe we should give a guy more than a month of, you know, on his job to see if he's actually, like, really good at his job and see how great he's going to be projected. That kid is so good at football. He was shedding blocks. He was wrapping up and tackling. He was hitting people. Just just really, really good at just what he's doing, and it was just awesome to see. Um, just I remember one play in the first quarter where he just shed a block that was, like, insane and made a tackle in the backfield. Um, yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, just all around great defensive back. Oh, J.B. Clowney. I didn't even talk about him yet. Um, yeah, talk about it. J.B. Clowney had a really great game, and he's proving that that signing was worth it, especially since Ojabo is going to be out forever, it seems like, until next year. So I'm yep. very happy with that J.B. Clowney signing. I liked it when it happened. I love it now. Just great death piece for us, and he is – not even death piece. Clowney's been the main star, him and Kyle Vannoy. Yeah. Um, Kyle Vannoy made that play, um, that important third down play later on in the game. Mm-hmm. Defense ball don't get their stuff. Um, every free agent signing on defense actually has done really well, and, um, and I'm happy to see that. 
uh, again, this defense is a full defense needs offense to catch up. So, hundred percent, yeah, and that I think was maybe my biggest takeaway, non coaching related, is that we just need to play more complimentary football more consistently. Uh, it felt like in the beginning of the season that was our strong suit. We were just constantly playing complimentary football. The offense was doing enough. The offense was putting up points, not losing games necessarily. Um, or, or I guess I should say not doing enough to where they would lose us multiple games uh, on a consistent basis. And the defense was just flat out balling defense is continuing to pull its own weight. Um, and honestly, I think that's one of the reasons I think the buy has come in a great time because we talked about it a little bit after the Bengals game. I think our run defense and the struggles that we've been having is largely stemming from just the fact that these guys are tired. Like yes. Roquan and Patrick Queen are playing 100% of the snaps week in, week out. And, you know, we're, we're 13 weeks into this thing. Of course, they're going to be gassed, right? So I think the buy is coming at a great time. I love that Harbs gave them the week off, let them, you know, recharge, refuel, and get ready for the last, you know, month or so. Yeah, the defense... I'm I'm glad you brought up Javian Clowney because a lot of people have been talking about him this week in a positive light, and rightfully so. He has been maybe the best free agent signing that the Ravens have had in recent years. I can't I can't think of one that has been more impactful right away than than Javian Clowney. And I think honestly, I think the closest one that you could point to would be Kyle Van Noy. Like both of those guys have been unbelievable for the Ravens. So I'm really happy to see them having the impact that they have. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Ojabo. We got the news this week that he had a partially torn ACL and he had surgery to repair that. He'll be back probably by training camp next year. So that's a big blow. Um, obviously, Harbaugh is being hush-hush about the Tyus Bowser situation. No idea if we see him this year or not. Um, one name that's been floated out very, like, scarcely over the last couple of weeks in, in regards to the Ravens, uh, I've kind of been banging this drum for the last few days, I kind of want the Ravens to sign uh, Nandamakan Sue. I know he mentioned a few weeks ago that he had talked with the Ravens. Um, around this time last year is when he signed with Philly. And obviously they go on to make a Super Bowl run. I think, obviously he's not an edge rusher. But I think if you bring him in and the way that McDonald likes to use and, and move around those chess pieces on the front four, it allows Matabike and Michael Pierce to play less snaps and be more fresh when you need them. Same thing with, you know, Broderick Washington, Travis Jones, who also Travis Jones silently been playing very, very well over the last couple of weeks. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Has looked very good. Yes. But if you bring in a guy like Sue, who pre predominantly plays in the middle of that defensive line, keeps those guys fresh. And I've seen on multiple occasions – Michael Pierce move a little bit out, maybe over the guard in between the guard and the tackle and Justin Matabike, who I've definitely seen on the edge down in a, in a three point stance, but on the edge, nonetheless, it, it just gives Mike McDonald another Swiss army knife, or I shouldn't say Swiss army knife, but another piece to use and kind of put together a Swiss army knife of a front four. So I would love to see them bring in Sue. It's the bye week. So you could get him in started next week and get him up to speed going into the uh, going into the Rams game that on paper is a game that you should win. So you shouldn't need him to play a bunch of snaps if you do sign him before that game. Um, but I don't know. I thought Jason Pierre Paul was definitely another candidate. Once we got the Ojabo news to bring him back. Uh, obviously now he's signed off the saints practice squad by the dolphins. Um, I, I don't know. I thought, I thought it would have been nice to bring him back, but overall, as far as the defense goes, Mike McDonald, you are 
a mastermind. Kyle Hamilton is incredible. Roquan and PQ are great. Jadevian Clowney is great. Kyle Van Noy is great. You mentioned Brandon Stevens. Brandon Stevens had another really good game. I know Keenan Allen got his, but he was really the only one. Like I think yeah. outs- outside of Keenan Allen, I think their their next uh, their next leading receiver had like thirty yards or something. So yeah, and and, and Keenan Allen's really good. So you know you can only do what you can do against them. But yeah, all around really good effort by the defense and you know just you know the 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 other stuff that we mentioned at the top that we have to figure out going into the bye yeah absolutely and it's a great time to have the bye week kind of relax um i think we basically put a bow on this game talk about everything we can with this game um we i feel like we're both still really high on this team the reason why we're so upset and frustrated is because we know what the ceiling is for this team and i think i say this every week our job is to come here to really just like praise this team all the time like oh my gosh they play so well no like i see this as like my my goal is to tell you why we can win and why we can't win a Super Bowl. Um, and if there are things I see why we can't win a Super Bowl, I'm going to call it out and say it as best I can. Um, granted, I'm not an expert by any means at all. Um, just something I see. Like, there's yeah, these are things yeah. like that could be an issue. So, But again, this yeah. team's still very good. We can still do a lot of great things. So let's go see what happens. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And before we go ahead and put a bow on the Ravens this week, just, you know, heading into the bye, looking ahead a little bit, uh, I think we mentioned it a couple of times already, but the biggest the biggest benefit of getting the bye this late is you have five games until the playoffs and you have a great opportunity to get everybody healthy, get everybody rested that needs it. Um, we have five tough games to close out the yes. season. Yes. Um, if, you're, if you're Harbaugh and you're Todd Munkin and you're – Mike McDonald and your Eric DaCosta and everybody else involved. This is a great opportunity for you guys to get in the lab and assess what has worked over the first 13 weeks and what has not find areas where you've done really well. And you can point to a couple games like the lions game, like the Seahawks game, like the first Bengals game where we went into Cincinnati and won. that was a close one. And you can point to some other stuff that was really not great. The Colts game, uh, obviously the Browns game at home where you got beat um, a lot from this game that you can point to and say, Hey, we need to clean a lot of this stuff up. I think they have a really good opportunity here to sit down, look at the next month of the season and be like, Hey, this is where we need to go. And this is how we get there. Um, the last thing, as far as bye week look ahead, I mentioned you have five games, not easy to close out the season. Um, just straight up, you have to win the games that you are supposed to win. This AFC is log jammed. We are currently sitting in the number one seed. We are nine and three. We are tied with a couple other teams. Or excuse me, we're not tied because I think we're the last one to have our bye as far yeah. as the, the division leaders go. But yeah. after this week, assuming all the division leaders win, because I think for the most part, their games are pretty I just winnable. Like this There's no like, oh, well, yeah, like Steelers right. playing the Cardinals. Um, Chiefs are playing the um, the Packers. Jaguars playing the Bengals on Monday night. Um, Texans and Broncos are playing each other, and Colts and Titans are playing each other. But no one's like, no one. There's not a game of like, oh, that can help us out. So. Right. Yeah. So, so assuming that all the division leaders take care of business, you're going to be nine and three. I think if everybody's nine and three, then. I think Miami has the tiebreaker over everybody and they would get the number one seed. I don't know how that works, but uh, anyway, you 
you have the Rams at home coming out of the bye. That is absolutely a game that you should win. I think the Rams are playing a lot better football now than they were at the beginning of the season. Matt Stafford is healthy. They just got back Kyron Williams, Notre Dame Irish alumni. Um, I, that's uh, at home. That's a game you should win. Yep. The next three games are where it gets tough. You go into Jacksonville on Sunday night football in week 15. Week 16, you go into San Francisco on Monday night football. Week 17, you play the Dolphins at home on New Year's Eve. And to close out the season, week 18, you have the Steelers at home. Say what you want about the Steelers, Josh. I am in agreement with you. I don't think they are a great team by any means, but they always they play number. us well. They have a number. number. They've beaten us once already. It's an AFC North rival. It's just you can never take that game for granted. So out of those five games, in my opinion, you have to go three and two. You just have to find a way to go three and two. I know it's going to be tough. The Rams game, you absolutely have to win the Rams game. Um, and then between the Jaguars, the Niners, and the Dolphins, you have to find a way to steal one and then beat the Steelers at home. Like, that's just – it's not going to be easy, but that's just what you have to do because, like I said, this AFC is so jam-packed with – it feels like everybody's within, like, two games of one another. Like, we could – realistically we're sitting in the one seed right now as we as we stand on november 29th in three weeks we could be talking about us in the sixth spot like that's just how the afc is right now yeah yeah absolutely we we need to win the next game we need to, i shoot you said three and two i think realistic we need to go four and one to win the division it's um, not crazy like i just think we do and there's some we can't I think the reason why last week was so frustrating, even though we won, is you can't have games like that anymore. Like that is the mm -hmm. last week that you get you can play like that and win. For sure. Realistically speaking, that's the last week you can play like that and win. We have to come out like on it. And it starts uh -huh. get it starts I I don't want to say next week, the week next week is a get right game, but it's definitely a for lack of better terms, an offensive get right game. Like yeah. get it together. Because weird things happen in Jacksonville. I hate everything about that game. I hate Monday Night Football. I hate playing yep. in Jacksonville. Like, I hate everything about that game, and nothing about that game screams any form of confidence to me. And I don't even think Jacksonville is that good. Just weird things happen in Jacksonville where we can't They're games. beatable for sure, but, yeah, weird shit happens in Duval County. Yeah, just I, I don't love that. I don't like that game at all. Um, and then who else? The Niners? Yeah, that game. We I don't know which Niners team is going to show up. Right. Um. And I don't want my Christmas to be ruined, but it probably will be ruined. And yeah, uh, I'm just I'm just chalking that one up as a loss. Like I'm just I'm 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 pre hurt, <laughs> yeah, so I don't I'm so gonna, I don't let my Christmas get ruined. I'm mentally telling myself that that game is okay to it's not great to lose on Christmas, and that game but that game is okay to lose because it's the NFC opponent. Um, you can't lose to Miami, you can't lose to the Steelers. Those are just two games no, that matter in the end. Um, so yeah, maybe three and two is the way to go. I think I, I love four and one. I love where we're at in four and one. I can live with three and two, um, but we'll see what happens. Um, I, just I think realistically, play better football. I 1000%. And that's, that's honestly like, even if, even if we do end up going three and two, if we're playing good football, we're playing better football than we saw on Sunday, I'll be okay. Because I think at this point it's all but locked up that we're going to barring anything, you know, knock on wood, barring anything, absolutely crazy. It looks like we're going to be in the playoffs. So, Get right is absolutely right. You need to have let this bye week be a reset. Fix all the bad stuff that has not gone your way and play your best ball over the next five weeks. Like yeah. you need to absolutely hit your stride going into the playoffs because I think 
if you go four and one over this next over the, the the last five games, I think we're probably talking about a number one or a number two seed in the AFC, which is great. Yeah. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, I just want the division. You get a home playoff game. You know, letting getting somebody to come here, getting somebody to come to the bank, whether it's Pittsburgh, whether it's Indianapolis, whether it's Cleveland, if they find a way to get in, whether it's I don't even know who else is in the hunt, but any of those teams coming into the bank, I'm confident that we can beat. Um, it's, you know, if, if you don't go three and two, you know, say you go two and three or God forbid any worse, then you're talking about clawing for a wild card spot and you have to go on the road in January and play a playoff game. You know, God forbid you go into Arrowhead, right. Or you have to go into, you got to go into Jacksonville or, you know, just that's not a position you want to be in. So I, I think conservatively, if you go three and two, you're at least locking up the division. Right. Right. And and like I said, if you go four and one, then we're talking about number one, number two seed. So yep. the biggest thing for me coming out of this bye week is get right and win the games that you're supposed to win. Yep. Absolutely. Couldn't have said any better myself. Um, all right. That's about it on the Ravens. I think we can put a bow on them. Um, before we get out of here, obviously we don't have a game to to talk about this week or preview this week because the Ravens are on a bye. Uh Josh, let's talk some college football. Let's do it. Uh, last week, rivalry. Last week was so great. Last yeah. week, rivalry, rivalry week is awesome. It's just, it's the best. Uh, it was headlined obviously by the game, Michigan, Ohio state number two, I think in the country versus number one. Um, I don't know about you, Josh. And I don't, I can't remember if we talked about it much as far as like what we thought going into this game last week, but everybody was all over Ohio state. They were an underdog. I don't know how many points they were getting, but they were an underdog and everybody was, everybody was loving them up. And I just never got the hype. Um, I, I've watched much more Ohio State football this year than Michigan football leading up to last week. Um, and a lot of that was because they played Notre Dame, and I was very intently keen on that game. Ohio State's good. Their defense is very good. Marvin Harrison Jr. is very good. Their running backs are very good. I just didn't think they were number one team in the country good. Kyle McCord is, is okay. I think he's got potential and has he can be a really good quarterback in the NCAA. I just didn't understand why everybody loved them going into the big house. I know Harbaugh wasn't going to be on the sideline, like that whole thing. I get it. But the entire week I loved Michigan. I was like, I, I just didn't see how Michigan was going to lose that game. And sure enough, they go on, they, they won by a touchdown. Like Michigan played a really good game. Shout out to Sharon. I think Moore is his last yeah. name, the interim yeah. head coach. Yeah. Yeah. Took yeah, over Sean for them against. Yeah. Took over for them when they went into Penn State and won three straight Penn State, Maryland, and now Ohio State. Shout out to him because he's done an incredible job. But that Michigan team, they're not sexy by any means. They're not super flashy. JJ McCarthy's not Caleb Williams. Like they win the game by playing opportunistic defense and by beating you down with their run game. Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are really good. And Flat out, they just dominated Ohio State. It felt like every time Ohio State clawed their way back into the game, Michigan was just there to hit them in the mouth and remind you, hey, we're still we're here and we're and we're not going anywhere. So that that game was awesome. Um, did you watch the game? And if so, what were your thoughts on the Michigan Ohio State game? I watched a little bit of it. I was working most of that time, so I just kind of had it on whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, my thoughts are I thought Michigan was going to win the game because they, like kind of you said, they were just going to pound the rock, and I think they were clearly the better team and the most complete team. I think Michigan and Georgia are the two most complete teams in college football right mm-hmm. now. I don't really think it's – I think it's them two and, like, everyone else is really good. But as far as complete and confident football go, those two are the best. Um, 
And it's the simple adage of like Ohio State's built to win a playoff game and, you know, probably beat the USC's and Oklahoma's and maybe like the Florida's and the Utah's or whatever. They're not built to win a Big Ten championship and Michigan is built to win right. a Big Ten championship. Where it's going to become interesting is when you see bowl season, how Michigan can transfer from being a Big Ten school to other competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but Michigan is the best, one of the best teams in the country. Um, I'm not surprised they won. I, the only concern I had was Harbaugh not being on the sideline for that game to really, like, I don't know. But, I mean, shoot, every every year, Michigan and Harbaugh's proven that quote that he said a couple years ago about some people being born on third and thinking they hit a triple. I mean, <laughs> that quote still, like, reigns supreme as of right now. Um, yeah. Dude, I, I, mean, I, saw yeah. A stat. I saw a stat the other day, and it kind of blew my mind. I, I, I knew it. Um, but just seeing it and like reading it made me really think Ryan day against opponents, not named Michigan is like 40 and one. Yes. Ryan day versus Michigan, I think is zero and three. You wonder what the only one or two losses are. Well, I remember one was last year in the semifinal against Georgia. The other one was, um, the national title against Bama. So there you go. I mean, I forget who it was, and it's an old adage in regards to this rivalry. It feels very much like you said, Ohio State is built to be, you know, the Notre Dames and the Penn States and even programs like I think I think Ohio State would give Alabama a really good game right now. Like, yes, I just yes, I just think that's how Ohio State's built. Michigan is built to beat Ohio State. And credit to to Jim Harbaugh, like I said. Credit to Sharon Moore. Credit to everybody over there for doing their thing. They put a they put a team together built to beat Ohio State, and that's exactly what they did. I I think I think Michigan is currently sitting at number two in the CFP poll. Yeah, I think they're yes. the best team in the country right now. I, I think they should absolutely be the number one team. Um, I, I know I know the committee does their thing. Georgia is very good, but but I, I just the way that I see it, they have the they have the best win. They have the most quality win right now. Um, but. Nevertheless, this the CFP push is going to be really, really fun to watch. Um, some other yeah. games from Rivalry Week: Alabama and Auburn in the Iron Bowl. That came down to a last minute uh, hail mary, fourth and like thirty something. Fourth and thirty-one. Yeah. Yep. And Jalen Milrow makes a play. Shout out to him. That game was awesome. That I, game was so I was not fun. expecting it to be that close. Uh, I told you. I tried to tell y'all. Listen, you did. You did. I tried to tell people that game was going to be close, and I told you guys like the reason why I think that um, Auburn lost that game last week versus New Mexico, a really good New Mexico State team, was because they were game. He was game planning and kind of looking forward to head to Auburn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry to Alabama, and it shows that game plan was pretty good. Uh, they got their weapons open, and like they they played. They, he called the perfect game and played a great game. Um, mm-hmm. However. Auburn does this thing where they just kind of turtle a little bit when it gets like in game time decisions and anything that could go wrong or get weird did go wrong or get weird that game. Um, that, that fourth and 31 was not the only weird thing to happen that game. A lot of this weird stuff happened, but Alabama, I don't even want to say they prove, I guess they did prove that they're the better team. They're still big brother. And just seeing like, I feel bad for Auburn fans, honestly, like, uh, yeah, me too. Like, that's a hurt fan base. Your two biggest rivals are the teams <laughs> that win national championships, like there's no tomorrow, and you you have your you have your rival bragging rights, like you get bowl eligible, dead in the water, and then they do that, and like it was just just a tough tough loss. And I'm like, 
I remember immediately seeing like them sing the alma mater after the game, just cry, like winning, just full like <laughs> ugly crying. I saw that too. And like, on one hand, I did laugh because it's just hilarious. But like, on the other hand, I did kind of feel for them because like, oh, what else sure. are you supposed to do? What, what else are you supposed? We've all been there before. Like, what else are you supposed to do there? Oh my god, like, yeah. Just straight gutted for them. But that was a great game. Uh, the Apple Cup mm-hmm. was also great too. Washington, Washington. Apple Cup was fantastic. Fantastic yeah. game. Yeah, that oh, was wow. that was another game I had written down. Um, so up until this point, I think I just haven't paid attention enough. I didn't know it was called the Apple Cup. That's just a that's just a fun name for a rivalry. Yes. yes. Um. Yeah, that game was really good. I think the final was like twenty four twenty one or something. Uh, yeah. Washington got the win. Yes, um, I think Washington pulled a trick play late. They like secured a win, which is ballsy yes. as anything. Yes, and yeah, Michael Penix like on like a fourth and two or something just threw a dot and ended up winning the game. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm not going to say I'm worried about Washington because I think they're capable of playing up and they have a really big matchup this week in the Pac-12 championship, but they certainly have not been playing their best ball as of the last couple of weeks. They've been, they've been in some tight games against some teams that they probably should be handling more than they've done. Um, and on the flip side, they're playing Oregon this week. They feel like they are playing ahead of their best ball. Like they are, they're playing really good ball right now. Um, they kicked the crap out of Oregon state in, in, uh, the the civil war, I think it's called, right? That yes. rivalry. Yes, yes. That is, rivalry week is the best because you get these fun and these you know quirky rivalry names and everything that comes with it. Um, but I'm I'm super excited for conference championship week because, and I think Kirk Herbstreit said this in an interview this week. Um, there is so much that could cause the college football playoff committee to just lose their lids if it all goes a certain way this week. I mm-hmm. can't remember the last time college football had this much parody and this much, this many question marks ahead of the playoff. Um, and I, I, I am, I love chaos. I am just an instrument of chaos. I would love nothing more than for, you know, Alabama to upset Georgia and for, um, you know, Louisville to upset Florida state and like just some, a bunch of crazy stuff happening this week. But you know, that's the beauty of, of conference championship week. Um, before we go ahead and start talking about some of these conference championship matchups, did you have any other rival rivalry week games that you wanted to talk about? Uh, not off the top of my head. I covered, we covered all the big ones. I can't think of anything okay. else that like stood out. Maryland won despite, you know, yeah, they won. So that's cool. They got seven <laughs> wins this year. Awesome. Hey, they're bowling. They're bowling. That's all that matters. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't really have any other rivalry week things you ready to talk about conference championship week because i know i'm ready absolutely am um so we mentioned a few of these uh my game of the week and i'm sure it's everybody else's game of the week is oregon at washington or oregon versus washington pac-12 championship oregon is currently sitting in the number six seed washington is occupying that last college football playoff spot at the number four oregon is a nine and a half point favorite going into this matchup with washington i mentioned it washington has not played their best ball over the last couple weeks and Oregon is playing really good ball over the last few weeks um these teams obviously have played each other once already Washington won I think the final was like 36 33 in that game yeah I watched that game intently because well for one I I had Oregon plus three and a half which that came home shout out to Oregon but also because I was really intrigued because this was several weeks ago when we were still talking about the Pac-12 being you know maybe the strongest conference in college football yeah um I think these teams are extremely different than they were when they first played. Um, 
And, you know, that being said, it's hard to beat a team twice. We know that from the NFL, the same rings true in college, even more so. Um, I think this is going to come down to the coaches. Both of these coaches are really good at what they do. Um, we've seen it throughout the entire year. Dan Lanning, um, you know, I, I first learned of him when they played Colorado and he had that locker room speech and fired everybody up. And he was talking about, you know, we're, we're doing this because, you know, we want to win and we want to be legends and we want to build a legacy, all that stuff. Right. I, I like what he does with that team. I like the way he runs that program. I am really, re this is like my game of the week. Um, there are some other ones that, that are obviously going to be good games this week, but I think this one is maybe my favorite on top of the rivalry and just, you know, the Pac-12, maybe because the implications of it all, right? Like if, if Oregon wins, I think, I think they, you have to let them in, regardless of the fact that they have one loss. If Oregon wins this game, they are, in my opinion, they lock a, a playoff spot. And then on the flip side, if Washington finds a way to win, like they're, they're undefeated, they're 13-0. There's no way yeah. that you don't let them in, right? Like, right. And then at that point, you know, they're they're the number four seed coming into this week. They're a nine and a half point dog. If they get a win over Oregon, then where do you put them? Right. Like, like, do they jump up to the two seed? Obviously, they're not going to jump up to the one seed. Presumably, like it, if we anticipate Georgia winning the SEC championship and Michigan beating Iowa in the Big Ten, like is Washington the three seed? Is there somebody that you're going to put over Washington as a four seed? If, you know, Florida State wins. Are they the three? Like, there's just so much stuff that can come from this game. And it carries such a big weight. I think that's why I'm I'm the most excited for this game out of the other ones. This game is going to be huge. It's going to be massive. I think the winner of this game gets in, like punches their ticket to the playoffs. Like no mm -hmm. ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, if Washington loses, that's where things get real interesting. Yeah. Uh, you said you like chaos. Before I get to the actual games, like you said, like chaos. This is the root. The really, root, this is what you want to happen to root for actual actual chaos to happen. Texas has to lose. Um, okay. If you want chaos, Texas has to be Texas has to lose and Bama has to win. Um, yes. And if you want to throw in an I, Iowa, a little bit of Iowa in there, Iowa will have to win super extreme chaos. Right. I I think I think I heard Herb Street talking about it, and he said if if Texas loses, if Alabama wins, and if Florida State wins, then you have some real chaos because Florida State, although they're without Jordan Travis, if they win over Louisville in the ACC championship, they're 13 and 0. Yeah. And albeit, like I said, they don't have Jordan Travis, but they're 13 and 0 and they won the, they won the ACC. Right. So are you going to not let them in because they're, you know, because they don't have their quarterback, even though they're undefeated. And then that's where it gets interesting with the Pac-12 championship, because if Florida state wins and Oregon wins, who do you let in? Because Michigan's going to get in right. one of, Alabama and Georgia are going to get in. Yeah. Right. If Alabama wins, Georgia only has one loss and they're still a really good team. Right. Do you put both of them in and then Oregon or Florida state? Like, are you going to keep Florida state out because they don't have their quarterback, even though they're undefeated, but are you going to let Oregon it? Like there's just so much that could happen and it's building up to be such a great and exciting weekend. But yeah, that, that Oregon and Washington game is the one that I have circled. And then obviously the, the Georgia Alabama game at the Mercedes Benz dome in, in Atlanta. Yeah. First of all, such a great venue for this game. It like it is perfect for it. Unbelievable venue to have this game. And then, you know, Nick Saban doing what he's done with this Alabama team. Some are saying his best coaching job ever. 
Um, and then this Georgia team, their defense is still really good. Kirby Smart's really good coach. Carson Beck, I think he's had a better second half of the season. Um, and obviously they got Brock Bowers back a few weeks ago too, which is huge for them. But, you know, they're sitting at a six and a half point favorite right now over Alabama. I think Alabama is more than capable of winning this game. I, like I They are. Care. They are. Uh, this is interesting. I don't think there's ever been an Alabama-Georgia game where I'm like, oh, Georgia's clearly the better team. This is a first for that. Um, okay. As far as the clearly the better team, I just think overall they're a better team with less weaknesses than Alabama has. However, that's okay. still Nick Saban and that's still Alabama, and I still think this is going to be an amazing game. I, I think Georgia wins. I would not be surprised if Alabama does win um, just because championship pedigree and stuff like that. And they're, mm-hmm. it's weird saying Alabama is due for a college football playoff, but they are kind of due for a college football playoff. Yeah. But, I mean, we talk about a Georgia team that has lost a game in, what, two years, it seems like. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, I don't know. I, I, think, I think Georgia wins, but I think it's going to be a really close, close game. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, championship. It's gonna be a great championship weekend. Just kind of like piggyback from just specific games in general. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of different matches for the smaller schools because smaller schools matter too. Um, oh, yeah. I'm obviously these are just games that I'm gonna call to watch. I'm gonna watch the Big Twelve game, Big Twelve mm-hmm. championship. Definitely watching the SEC, and I'm gonna flip up between the switch back and forth between the Big Ten and ACC championship. I think the ACC championship is gonna be a better game, have better playoff implications, so I may stay on that um, because mm-hmm. I honestly just think Michigan will have it wrapped up by halftime. Um, I agree. Looking at smaller championships, just kind of like give a run through real quick. Uh, I won't be watching the Pac-12 game, most of it, because I will be working the Liberty. Liberty has our, we have our Conference USA championship game on Friday. I was going to say, talk about it. 25th team in the country. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, 20, 24th now in the country right now, Liberty playing. Okay. Um, only school with the undefeated football and basketball program as of the time of recording. Obviously, things can change whenever. But uh, Friday, very important. Uh, conference championship game versus New Mexico State. Fun fact about the two schools, we've played five times in the last three or four years. Um, so two teams that are very familiar with each other, and this okay. is our second time playing them. Um, you've heard me talk a lot about Liberty throughout like, the year, so I won't <laughs> I won't get into that as much. But uh, we run the ball very we run the ball very effectively, and we score a lot of points. So we're a very oh, fun yeah. team to watch. Um, our quarterback Hayes Salt is also very good, very mobile, very athletic. Fun brand of football. It's going to be a really fun game. I want to talk about New Mexico State a little bit. They have a five, a quarterback that's about 5'9", 5'10", 5'11". Short little dude. Wiry Scramble can throw the ball. This dude, Diego, something. I don't know his last name. His name is Diego or something <laughs> like that. But dude's awesome at football. Like, great football player. Mobile, can throw the ball. He, he can give our defense issues. But CBS Sports Network, 7 p.m. Friday, right before the Pac-12 game, and throw it on a laptop while you're watching the Pac-12 game. Mm-hmm. Should be a fun time. Games can be in Lynchburg. It's going to be a cold, uh, like rainy football weather night. Uh, well, no rain, but cold and cold and dark and windy. Great football weather, and it's going to be a fun atmosphere. Um, you haven't been to game here in Lynchburg at Liberty. Uh, I highly recommend it. I'm biased, but like, it is a really fun like environment that's different from most. So, highly recommend that. Uh, throwing that on because you'll see some good like FC. I'm not FCS. I'm sorry. Good uh, G5 football. I'm All definitely right, going to tune into that. I I, I want to watch that. I didn't know New Mexico's quarterback was only like 5'9". That's awesome. Yeah, dude, dude's short, but he can, he can sling it and he can run. So he's really, yeah. really good. Yeah. Um. So let me think. Um. Oh, Maxion, that should be an interesting game. Miami of Ohio versus Toledo. 
Toledo, if you look at their record, is consistently really good in the MAC. It always seems to win MAC championships. So yeah, I, I feel like I hear them every year just winning the MAC. Oh, they're because they are consistently winning the MAC or becoming like or second <laughs> in winning the MAC. Um, they're a really good program that not a lot of people know about. So I got Toledo over Miami of Ohio. Um, the Mountain West, I thought the storyline was interesting. Boise State fired their head coach and just rattled off a bunch of wins, and now is in a championship game with the interim head coach. So that's pretty cool. Um, and two more games. I guess the last two championship games I'm going to highlight. Uh, the American, SMU versus Tulane uh, in New Orleans, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, for the American championship. Uh, this game's important for multiple reasons. I think this – the uh, group five spot for the um, for the New Year's Six Bowl is between mm-hmm. three G5 teams right now, it seems like. just This is the general consistency. This is just my, my knowledge is working. This is just like the general consistency throughout the college athletics world. As of now, it seems okay. like that there's one G5 spot for a New Year's Six Bowl between Tulane, Liberty, and SMU. Um, Tulane and SMU both have a lot. Well, SMU has two losses, so they're on the outside looking in. Tulane has one loss. We have no losses. They like Tulane's like strength of schedule a little bit better than ours. You play who you play. I I won't I will not apologize for wins. Um, if Tulane wins, they're pretty much guaranteed a New Year's Six bowl. If they lose, it gets interesting. If we win on Friday, uh, we could possibly a New Year's Six. We could not. We don't know yet. But um, that's just something very uh, interesting to look out for. So. I will be rooting against Tulane just for my own personal, like, you know, interest in my, like, it'll be fun to go to like a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, oh, yeah. But Tulane's a great team. And honestly, I think they are going to, I just think they are going to win because I think they're better than SMU. But that should be a very fun, entertaining game. I feel like when those two teams get together, it's just stupid and a lot of fun and a lot of scoring and a lot of touchdowns. Um, App State and Troy. I don't know if you have watched these two teams play it off in the Sun Belt Championship. JMU should be in this game. 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 Now I've gotten that obligatory, like JMU should be playing this game out the way. This is going to be a fun game. Mm -hmm. And Troy is also really good at football. Not a lot of people know about them at all. Not a lot of people know that Troy is in Alabama, but this Troy team's really good at football. I didn't know that. Yeah. This is going to be a good game versus two, like really good uh, G5 schools. So, Give, show some of the smaller schools some love. Their games are probably more entertaining to watch sometimes because you just don't know what's going to happen. So that's all I got for college football and championship week. Hell yeah, man. That's great. That's some great insight. I, I really only follow the front runner, so I'm glad you were able to provide that on some of the small schools. Small schools do matter. We love small schools at the, on this show. Um, yes. And yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm super excited for that Liberty game. I'm definitely going to tune in. And uh, I believe on Saturday I'll be, uh, I'll be rooting for, uh, for old SMU. Hoping, hoping for, hoping for you guys to get in that New Year's Six. Pony up, baby. Listen, pony up. I will. <laughs> I listen. I've always been an SMU fan. Tony Dorsett. They should have never gotten the death penalty. James um, Prochet. James Prochet. Yeah. <laughs> go. Crazy fan base. Very passionate fan base. I respect them a lot and like what they do. So shout out SMU. Tulane also very good private school in New Orleans. I have nothing against them. I just need to unleash my own personal interest. So yeah. Hey, pony with up. That being said, pony up. <laughs> I'm done, dude. All right. I think we can go ahead and put a bow on this episode. Um, Josh, thank you as always, brother, for coming back and talking ball. Uh, it's been a pleasure as it is every week with you. Um, Ravens are on a bye. So for all of our Ravens fans, kick your feet up and enjoy some stress-free, stress-free football on a Sunday. Um, and hey, before that, 
enjoy some football on a Saturday and and Friday. We got we got Liberty and on Friday. Friday. We got Michigan, Iowa. We got Alabama, Georgia. We have Oregon, Washington, and we have Louisville and Florida State on Saturday. Yep. Buckle up. It's going to be a great com- uh, college conference championship weekend. And then, like I said, you got stress-free football on Sunday if you're a Ravens fan. So everybody have a safe weekend. Have a fantastic weekend enjoying sports. And until next time, we will see you all later. See you guys. Peace. All right, all right, all right. Shout out to Josh, as always, for joining me and talking ball. And shout out to all you guys. Uh, It's Spotify rap season. I've been seeing a lot of uh, some of our listeners who – have just been loyal with us and been rocking with us along with this ride. Um, and honestly, if you're listening to this point in the podcast, you've made it this far. Thank you so much for everybody who has listened to us over the last year or so. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for riding along this journey with us. We cannot thank you enough. I really, really, truly mean that. I know Josh means that. I know Scoot means that, even though he hasn't been on the program in a little bit. But we're all so thankful that you guys let us uh, be a part of your lives each and every week. Last order of business, as always, best picks, best bets of the NFL week ahead of week 13. Let's get into it. First pick, shout out to everybody who's listening early on release day. Cowboys, Seahawks, Thursday night football, my first bet of the week. I'm going to go with the under 47 and a half. This is a little bit of a scary one to me because of what the Cowboys are capable of. Uh, However, I'm going to ride the hot hand with the primetime unders. Primetime unders last week were hot. They've been hot all season. Obviously, we all have heard the trend. Um, And flat out, the Cowboys are just the better team. Um, I don't know that I necessarily want to lay that many points with the Cowboys. When push comes to shove, I might just end up doing it ahead of Thursday night um, because I truly do believe that the Cowboys are the better team here and they should cover the number. Um, However, I think the under is in play here because Dallas's defense is just straight up better than Seattle's offense, uh, Deron Bland, obviously, we know what he's doing. He set the record for pick sixes in a single season, and it's only week 12. Um, I think Seattle will have trouble blocking up front and keeping Micah Parsons away from Geno Smith. Uh, I just think this is a high number. I really like the spot for the under. Second pick so far ahead of the week. Um, I'm going back to the well. Call it a heat check. Um, I'm going to lay the five and a half with the Steelers. I don't like laying this big of a number with the Steelers just because I don't think the Steelers are that great of a team. Obviously, they're seven and four or whatever they are right now. Um, but I think they I think they have a lot to prove, specifically Kenny. I think Kenny has a lot to prove. I think he's feeling the pressure. He's feeling the heat a little bit. Matt Canada's gone, so there's no real scapegoat anymore. Um, but also, he played really well last week against Cincinnati, albeit Cincinnati and their defense is not great. But... I think they found something. I think they found out that they can exploit the middle of the field. Shocker to Matt Canada. You can throw the ball there. And I think that this Arizona defense is not all that great. Obviously, Cincinnati, their pass defense is like 31st in the league or something. Arizona's defense is not all that great as well. Arizona's 30th against the run, and they're not great against the pass either. Pittsburgh is 14th in rush yards, so that's not necessarily a huge area to exploit there. And Pittsburgh's offense is statistically on the season not great as far as pass yards per game go, but Kenny did throw for like 270 something last week. And I just, I think this is a game where being at home means something. Pittsburgh is not an easy place to play. James Connor's coming back for Pittsburgh. So maybe sprinkle on, on him to score a touchdown a little bit, a little homecoming, but nevertheless, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the well, lay the five and a half with the Steelers here. Third pick of the week. This is an ugly game that I have no business betting, but got to do it anyway. Laying the five and a half with the bucks. 
Panthers are coming into town. Ordinarily, this would be an auto bet spot for the Panthers because they just fired their head coach. But the Panthers suck. They're cleaning house right now. They fired Josh McCown. They fired Deuce Staley. Um, I have never heard of the guy who take is taking over the interim head coaching duties. And plus, Baker is just really good at home. Uh, if you look at his splits, Baker is significantly better at home than he is on the road. So I'm going to lay that five and a half with the Bucks here. I think this is just a good spot for him. Last pick so far that I got for you guys right now. Maybe the best game of the weekend slate. 49ers are at the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to lay that two and a half with the Niners here. Not in love with laying points in Philly. Uh, I know how that Philly bunch is. But when you look at the numbers, I think the Niners just have an edge really everywhere. Uh, the Niners are 12th in pass defense. Philly has the 13th ranked passing offense. Niners are second in rush defense. Philly has the eighth ranked rush offense. Niners have the seventh ranked rush offense. Philly has the third ranked rush defense. And here's where the biggest discrepancy comes into play. San Francisco has the eighth ranked passing offense. Philadelphia's defense is 29th against the pass. I think this is going to be a game where Brock Purdy has a chance to silence everybody. And look, I've been very loud about how I feel about Brock Purdy. I think he's good, but I think he's a benefactor of a really great situation in San Francisco. Um, This is an opportunity for him to win a game. Uh, This is the opportunity for him to right the ship from the NFC Championship last year where he didn't get the chance to win the game. Also, one thing that I'll throw out about this game, the injury status of Lane Johnson is going to be paramount for both sides here. Uh, There was a stat going around about the Niners. Since acquiring Chase Young, they have had something like 15 sacks in three games. The difference that he has made on that front is ridiculous. Lane Johnson being out last week against the Bills kept the Bills in that game. His presence, or lack thereof, was absolutely felt. So if Lane Johnson is not active for this game, I'm going to be hammering the Niners. Even if he is active, I still like the Niners in this game, but that's just something to think about there. Those are my best bets early on in the slate. I'm sure I will have more as I do every week. Once again, thank you, as always, for joining us. Safe betting, happy betting, best of luck to you all. Let's go win some.
Drop my eye, pull me closer, and never. 